Well, good morning, everyone. All right, Ed's awake. So I'm glad uh, I've got one person. Uh, all right, well, I uh, have to start off by telling you that uh, you are ignorant. Okay, now I didn't expect that. Um, that that's not what I expected. Uh, I realized that there's probably some imaginary handbook of public speaking that says like rule 8.6 is don't insult your audience, but I'm not insulting you. All right, now if you're running off the typical definition of ignorant, you know, like what the Oxford Dictionary has, uh, that ignorant is lacking knowledge or awareness, uneducated or unsophisticated, then yes, I can see why maybe you're feeling a little insulted. But what you may not realize is that the root word for ignorant is the same root word used for ignore. Now, you probably know ignore as uh, refusing to take notice of or acknowledge, to disregard intentionally. So when you are ignoring something, you're being intentionally ignorant. In other words, you're trying to ignore something to be ignorant of what is going on there so that you can give your attention to something better. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're at work or maybe at schools. I know kids, you just got out. Why am I dragging you back there? But this is just a mental game. This is not permanent. All right, imagine you've got two classmates, two coworkers who begin to engage in the world's most boring conversation. All right? And it's happening right next to your cubicle or right there as you're trying to work on math. Like they're talking about fishing lures or comic books or why they think the world is flat. Like I don't know what the conversation is. Just imagine what is the worst, most boring conversation anyone could have next to you. Like maybe it's the like consistency of concrete. Like it doesn't matter. It's just so boring, but it's also distracting. You're trying to focus on your work. You need to get this done because your boss or your teacher expects it by a certain time. So you're trying to work on it. What you have to do is ignore them. In other words, you need to be ignorant that the conversation is even taking place. You see, there's times where ignorance is actually a good thing. Because if, you're, if you were not ignorant on certain things at certain times, your brain would explode there is so much stimuli constantly going on around you and within you, your brain can't process all of it. So your brain intentionally ignores some things. It acts ignorant to those things that are going on. For instance, right now, your brain is ignorant of the fact that your tag is scratching you on the back. You've been ignoring it. Now I've just ruined your morning and now you'll notice it for the rest of the time. If you're here in person, you've probably been ignorant of the noise from our fans that are constantly going or the air conditioner that is running. Now that I've drawn your attention to it, you no longer ignore it. Maybe if you're joining us at home, right now you're ignoring the washing machine going on in the background of the dishwasher so that you could focus on this. Or maybe if you're listening right now on the podcast, you're out on your bike or you're walking and you're listening to this, you're having to ignore certain things around you so that you can focus on what I'm talking about. But please stay safe on your bike. We don't want you to wreck. But you are constantly ignoring things. And sometimes ignoring the right things actually leads to a good thing. And that's what we're going to see today in the book of Proverbs. Solomon is going to want you to ignore certain things. Certain things that this world doesn't want you to ignore, but he's asking you to be ignorant of them. 
so that you can then not ignore wisdom. Give all of your time and attention to wisdom because by not ignoring wisdom, to not be ignorant of wisdom's ways will actually protect you. And we're gonna see today that it will protect you from simple-mindedness. It's going to protect you from potential destruction. But most of all, it's going to protect you from yourself. Now, to get this truth to us, Solomon is going to mock us. He's going to use poetry He's going to use a, a literary technique called personification. I mean, it is quite a chapter, but he does it to grab a hold of our attention so that we won't ignore him and we will no longer be ignorant of what wisdom can do. So if you're ready for the ride, open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to be doing Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. If you are a first-time guest with us, whether in person or online, and you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're going to put it up on the screen so you can read right along with us. We just really encourage you, get a Bible. We don't care if it's a digital Bible or a paper Bible. We just want you to have one. So please, download a Bible to your phone or just go to Walmart or ChristianBook.com. Get yourself a paper Bible. Get one in your hands. Here within just a few weeks, we're going to have a table out in our lobby area there will be some Bibles on there. So if you come in person and you don't own a Bible, you'll have one that you can just take with you and make your everyday Bible. Uh, last week, as we kicked off this short little series in Proverbs, um, Caleb Townsley, one of our elementary students, read for us uh, Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. If you missed last week, I just encourage you uh, sometime this week or maybe today, read through those verses. It gives you a good understanding of why Solomon wrote the Proverbs. But then what we did was we went over to chapter 2 for our sermon, and we studied through the entire chapter. And in the first half of that chapter, we saw how wisdom will protect us. We saw how wisdom protects us from a ruined life, from ruined relationships, and from a ruined reputation. Well, today, we're going to dig into that even deeper. We're going to go over to the end of chapter 1 here, the last half of it, and we're going to see that not only does wisdom protect us from those three things, it also protects us from simple-mindedness, because if we don't uh, eliminate civil mindedness, it will then lead us to destruction. So wisdom will protect us from destruction, but also wisdom protects us from ourselves. So as we get ready to dive in, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, uh, you wrote these words through Solomon's pen long, long ago. And the wisdom here has helped lead and guide and protect people from generation after generation. And so God, we want to be part of that troop of people. We want to be those that are protected by your truths, by, by your word. And so God, would you open our ears and our minds? I, I have no idea what kind of week everyone had. I, I, I'm not even sure where everyone is at spiritually. And so I'm asking you to do what only you can do, that through your Holy Spirit, you would touch the minds and hearts of everyone listening to this. That if they are not a follower of you yet, that this might be part part of their journey to come to know Jesus and begin to find him and follow him. And for those who've been following you for a long while, that, that this might be what they need to be encouraged or, or to be reminded of just how important your wisdom is. God, we've got a world that tries to tell us how to think and how to live. And sometimes your ways are far different than that. So God, help us today to be willing to not ignore wisdom, but to ignore the things around us and in us that try to draw us away from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Proverbs 1, starting in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. 
And because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, oh, and then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Uh, if you are part of the Riverwood family, hopefully you get the uh, weekly uh, news and notes email. If you're a member of the community, maybe you get the Waverly newspaper. But this last week, uh, in both, I, I had the same article, and I wrote about story. We as humans love story. I mean, how else do you explain the explosion of so many streaming services? I mean, it started with Netflix, and then there's now Disney+, Plus, there's Hulu, there's HBO Max, Paramount now has their own. This doesn't even begin to get in what ABC, NBC, and CBS are doing in their own streaming stuff. And then there's also the ad-supported, the free I mean, Roku has their own Roku channel. There's Tubi TV. There's Play, uh, Pluto, Plato. I forget which it is. But I mean, like, there's so much out there. Why? Because we humans love story. We love to get lost into a story. There, there's something about it. I think Solomon knows this. That is why he does not start like a, a college seminary professor type of lesson. All right, open your textbooks. Today we're going to talk about wisdom. There are four parts to wisdom. No, he starts off by using a story, he creates a character, a woman named Wisdom. She's the embodiment of it. And notice what she does. She yells, she screams, she cries out. Notice where he puts her, though. He puts her in a busy market. I, I, I love that he did that. I have no idea really what a first century market was like, but I, I would imagine that there were people who had their own like booths, they're trying to sell their, their stuff that they've raised, so they're calling out people to come and, and, and you know, come buy their stuff. There, there's buyers that are haggling for a lower price. Maybe there's animals that are being sold. And so you got the bleeding of sheep and the baying of donkeys and the clucking of chickens and the, you know, whatever. And it's just constant noise and cacophony. And she walks into this busy place and she tries to yell over the top of it. Now, we, we don't have a market like that anymore. But I love that he put her in such a busy, noisy place because we live in a very busy and noisy world. Like, we constantly have the noise of Spotify, of podcasts, of NPR, of cable news, of Facebook, and, and, and Candy Crush, and the notifications on our phone. Like, we have so much stuff crashing in on us that if Solomon were alive today and he was writing this, I don't think he'd have to change too much. I think he could have the, the woman wisdom crying out, and we wouldn't hear her because we'd be looking down at our phones with our earbuds in. And what would we miss her saying? three things. She wants to protect us from simple-mindedness, from destruction, and from ourselves. So let's first look at simple-minded. There's a difference between living simply and living with simple-mindedness. 
To live simply means you're just kind of content with what you have. You don't have to have a lot of stuff in order to find joy and happiness. Like, you can live simple. And by living simple, learning you can have less, and therefore you feel like you have more, more time, more joy, more freedom. There's just a freedom about it. That's living simply. But that's not what he's talking about in this passage. When, when, when Solomon has uh, the, the woman yelling out, oh, simple ones, he's describing someone else. Look at it there in verse 22. He says, how long, O oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Now, some people read this and they think that there's three people that she's talking to, the simple, the scoffers, and the fools. But Hebrew uh, poetry employs parallelism. They will often say one thing one way and then say the exact same thing, but in a slightly different way. It, it adds to their poetry. It's like adding layers, some texture to it. And that's what he's doing here. So when you, we see the, the word simple, oh, simple ones, he gives us a definition of who he's talking about. And you see it down there in verse 22 in the second half. They're scoffers and they're fools. So we're not talking about people who haven't necessarily been given the knowledge, and so they're simple because they just haven't been educated. No, we're talking about people who scoff at the idea of even getting this education. In other words, this is a head thing, not a heart thing. Look down there at verse 29. Wisdom says that because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. So this, again, is not someone who's just uneducated. This is someone who's willingly ignoring the knowledge and wisdom that's out there. They're making a choice. So this would be like a soldier going out to battle in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but refusing to wear any armor. I'm tough. I'm brave. I don't need that. No, we'd look at that and go, no, that's stupid. That's not bravery. And it'd be like the football player saying, I don't need a helmet. Well, yeah, you are hard-headed, but you're going to get a concussion. Like you look at it and go, no, knowledge says, here's what you should do. And yet these guys scoff at it because they're simple-minded. Uh, my uh, three years in high school and two years in college, I worked as a lifeguard during the summers. And the two years in college, I was the assistant manager. And my freshman year, uh, there was a girl, one of our lifeguards, she just finished up her, uh, or no, she was getting ready to go into her senior year. And uh, she was one of the most popular girls in her class. Some of the guys thought she was attractive, wished to date her. She had a lot of friends. I mean, she was in that popular crowd. Well, that summer, I remember a group of us lifeguards decided we were going to hang out together. We were going to uh, go on this event. And so uh, we, we take off in a car, and next thing I know, someone pulls out a beer, all right, now, most of us were underage, and I'm just like, guys, what are you doing? And they start passing it around. Well, I was not a drinker, and so I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to take this. And then suddenly she takes it, and that, that surprised me because of who, what I knew about her and the, and the family she came from. And then she took a sip. And after sipping, she grimaced. You could immediately tell she did not like the taste. And so I'm looking at her going, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, that's disgusting. I'm like, then why are you drinking it? She says, because the effects are fun. Well, over the course of that next year, her senior year of high school, as she was going after these effects, one of the effects that happened from this fun was that she would take the boyfriends of some of her friends and be with them. 
Now, you would imagine, as we saw last week, wisdom says that, you know, you do these sort of things that will ruin relationships. And you could imagine how this ruined some of her friendships. But when this happened over a half dozen times with different boys, it ruined her reputation. And she went from being one of the most popular people in school to being one of the most hated. But this was not a head thing. She was a straight-A student. Like, she came from a very well-respected family. She knew that, first of all, she's underage, so she should not be drinking. But she also knew that morally, it was wrong for her to do the behavior that she's doing with these boys, especially when they already have a girlfriend who's their friends. She ruined her life. All because the world tried to tell her, you want pleasure, you want fun, here's where it's going to be found. The effects are fun, this is going to be great, this is where pleasure is found. And instead she found ruin. That is simple-mindedness. That is knowing the knowledge of if I engage in these things, these things could happen, but I'm going to do it anyway. She scoffed at it in a sense. She rejected the knowledge. And so wisdom is trying to say, I want to protect you from that. I want to help you. Because if you live simple-mindedly, it leads you to our second part. It leads you to destruction. And wisdom wants to save you and protect you from destruction. Now, I'm going to admit, this next part gets just a little weird. So, so stick with me. Go down there to verse uh, 25. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when terror strikes. All right, it's one thing to say to someone, I, I told you so. It's another to look at them and go, <laughs> oh my goodness, you totally ruined everything. I love it. I mean, like, that just sounds downright cruel. What in the world is going on? All right, remember, Solomon has created this woman. She's a fictional character. There was no woman at the time who was wisdom. Right? So she is a personification of this idea. And, and Solomon is using her to try to grab our attention. So he's trying to get something across to us. And what is it? That if you live in the way of the simple-minded, it will lead you to destruction. So many of us try to pretend that it won't happen to us. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that happens to other people, but that won't happen to me. And so Solomon is trying to say, oh, hang on, hang on. You laugh at my advice, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to happen to you. And his way to shock his readers is going, and when it happens, wisdom will laugh at you. Now, uh, you've maybe heard the saying that, you know, experience is one of the best teachers. Uh, this past week, a friend of mine said, no, actually, Aaron, it's evaluated experience is the best teacher. I was like, oh, you know, there's, there's some wisdom in that. But I think Solomon here would say, you know what, you don't have to get the experience to know. Like, you do not have to have the experience of ingesting certain things into your body to know what it's like. You don't have to engage in certain activities to, to get an understanding. Like, it's possible for you to gain some knowledge, to get some wisdom, and realize, yeah, that's probably not good. When I was in seventh grade, my uh, English teacher, Mr. Cox, told us a story about when he was a kid there was a man who lived in his, his town who worked at the local gas station. This is back when gas stations were full service. And, and this man, he, he worked at the gas station just as a, an attendant. And, and one day, a semi-truck trailer pulled up. And so he goes out and he fills it up. 
Uh, trucker goes inside, pays for his gas, gets some food, and comes back out. And, and the, the gas station attendant apparently like just taps the trailer like, hey, yep, you're good. We'll see you later. And as the truck starts pulling away, the gas station attendant sticks his foot underneath the tire and lets it roll over. Now, in case you didn't know, I didn't know. I had to look it up. An empty semi-truck 18-wheeler trailer, the, the whole thing weighs 35,000 pounds when empty. I have no idea if anything was in this. All right, That is 17 and a half tons. Like, that right there would absolutely crush your foot. And guess what? It did. The man was never able to use his foot again. Now, his manager saw it happen, comes rushing out there, and one of the first words were, why did you do that? And apparently, the gas station attendant said, I always wanted to know what it would feel like. You don't need to get that experience in order to know what it would feel like. Right? There are times when you don't have to do something in order to understand. You can get the knowledge ahead of time and realize, that's not good. That's not wise. I better not do it to save myself from destruction. Did, did you notice, though, how wisdom said that when the calamity happens, that's when people will try to turn to her. That they'll, they'll run to her. And that's kind of when she mocks them. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down as like a counselor with someone. They've poured out their story to me and, and in there's admitted some of the mistakes that they've made. And yet at the end of it, they have the audacity to say, I don't understand how this happened. Or I don't know why God is doing this to me. Now I don't do this, but part of me inside wants to go, you're in debt because you kept spending too much. What do you mean? I don't know how this happened. Like you got pregnant because you had sex. Like there are certain things that just when you do, this is the act, this is the consequences. And yet sometimes we want to live like, hey, I want to just do whatever I want. I don't want to listen to wisdom. I just want to live my life. But then when that calamity happens, when destruction comes, why is this happening? Solomon's trying to warn us ahead of time. You don't have to do this in order to fully understand. You can get the wisdom ahead of time and it will protect you. So wisdom wants to protect us from our simple-mindedness because that simple-mindedness will lead us to destruction. But that leads then to our third part. The simple-minded, I mean, that uh, wisdom wants to protect us from ourselves. Before I get going on this, um, I just want to acknowledge that, that some of you, the, the pain that you have in life is because of some of the destructive decisions that others have made. I, 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 what Solomon is talking about here is the destruction that comes to us because of our own mistakes. But I just want to acknowledge that I realize that, that some of what you're going through, some of the pain that you have, it is not your fault. Like, it's not your fault that your dad was absent. It's, it's not your fault that they verbally abused you. It is not your fault that he or she cheated on you. So some of the pain that you have in life, some of the, the things that are going on internally, it is the result of the sin of others. We live in a sin-soaked world. And so we all, like bumper cars, clamp, you know, crash into each other, wrecking each other's lives. And so I'm sorry. But what Solomon is talking about here is you not going to making those same mistakes. Just because he or she said those really cruel and unfair things about you does not give you permission to return the same. That's not wise. Just because he or she cheated on you does not now give you permission to go and cheat on them. 
That also is not wise. See, wisdom is walking through the streets, wanting to protect these people, crying out to them. She's trying to protect them from the destruction, and she knows that most of the destruction is going to come because they scoff. They personally make this decision to enter into sin. It sure looks like it'll be fun if you just click here, if you just buy this, if you just drink that, everything will be great. And wisdom is trying to say, no, don't do it. I want to protect you from yourself. I think this is why Solomon wrote, had wisdom say this in verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You see, when you follow the way of wisdom, it grounds you. It, it like centers you. It brings you to a place of peace. It helps you to dwell secure. And when you are dwelling secure, when you are living at ease, now you're not quite as enticed to give in to those things. You're less likely to go and engage in these behaviors that will bring destruction. So that is why wisdom is saying, come to me, walk in my ways, adopt my methods. Let me help you be wise because I will protect you. I will help you be at ease. I will help you to dwell secure. But let's be honest. We live with ourselves all the time that we hear our inner monologue. Like, like we, we constantly have this, you know, inner, inner desire. Like, oh, Aaron, if you just watch this, if you'll just, you know, eat that, it, it, you know, if you just engage in these things, man, that'll be great. That'll be fun. H- how do you go about doing it? How do you fight against the selfishness that wants to lead you into that simple-mindedness that will destroy you? I know this is going to sound weird, but what you have to do is you have to ignore yourself. Now, don't, don't mishear that. To ignore yourself does not mean you, you stop eating so that you can get skinny. It does not mean that you ignore yourself by just skipping sleep so you can get more done. It does not mean that you just, you know, ignore rest so that you can make more money. To ignore yourself is not a, a, a permission to mistreat yourself. Like, God gave you that body. You need to take care of it. When I say you need to ignore yourself... I'm saying you need to treat that, that inner monologue that wants to lead you into selfishness, to, to have that simple-mindedness. I want you to treat it like that boring coworker who's having the conversation right next to your cubicle or right next to your desk, and you need to ignore them. You need to be ignorant of their presence so that you can give your attention to something more important. Anyone here sleep with like some sort of sound machine Maybe even just like a fan at night. Okay, I see a few hands. All right, yeah. My, uh, my uh, brother's family, they, they all have their own like sound machines. So when we were there over spring break, uh, we were using my nephew's room. And uh, so, we, all right, yeah, we'll try this. So I turn on the sound machine. Holy smokes. Like I slept in like an hour or two way after I normally do. You know, I'm like walking out going, what was that? Like I've never slept so hard. And I wondered if it wasn't the sound machine. Like why do we sleep with these things? Because it helps to drown out the other noise. I didn't hear them. That my, my brother's kids still had school that week. They were doing it at a home. I, I didn't hear them out there getting ready for school. I didn't hear people having breakfast. I didn't hear any of it because the sound machine pushed it all away. 
and it allowed me to sleep like a rock. What I'm trying to learn to do in my life is let the gospel be my sound machine. I'm, I'm trying to let Jesus create the white noise that helps me to ignore all of that noise, to ignore the, the, the voice in me that wants me to give in to all of these simple-minded things. And so to turn up the volume of Jesus, I, I, I try to, to listen to gospel-centered music. I, I, I get into my scriptures. I, I, I try to read other books. I go to my growth group. I meet with some people one-on-one, -on -one, just to try to encourage one another to follow Christ. Because I'm telling you, my inner monologue is loud. It constantly wants ice cream. It, it wants to constantly stay up late watching another movie, another episode. Like, it's embarrassing as I'm talking about this. I lost track of time last night. I didn't go to bed till one because I was listening to a book while working on a puzzle. Like, everything in me just wanted to do these fun things. And, and by the way, none of those are wrong and evil. But come on, I don't need ice cream every single night. Like, I should have gone to bed at about 11 last night, not one. Like, there's always this inner selfishness. And so somehow we've got to turn up the volume on Jesus to let the gospel be this white noise so that we can push away and ignore ourselves. The Apostle Paul gets after this in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 2, he says, To set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So that's what he's calling us to do. Put your mind on Jesus, who sits on the throne of God. Put your heart on the sovereignty of God and his love for you. Set everything about you on the cross and Jesus' resurrection. Because when you keep that at the forefront of your heart and mind, it creates the white noise you need to ignore your inner monologue that says, this will be great, click on that, listen to this. And you can turn that down and turn Jesus up. And so my question to you is, what do you need to do? Now, if, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I, I'm just going to encourage you. The first thing you need to do is, is uh, just give your life to Christ. Jesus died on a cross for your sin. He loves you. Your sin keeps you separated from a perfect holy God. You, and it's not your fault. You were born into sin. You didn't choose this, but it's your default state but Jesus loved you so much that he came down to earth. He left his throne in heaven to come to earth, to take on a human body, to live the only perfect life that has ever been lived on this earth. But he went and died on the cross in our place. You see, by living a sinless life, he did not deserve the cross. He did not have to die for his own sin. So by him going and doing it, he took the penalty that should have been given to us. The penalty of death, I mean, the penalty of sin is death. Jesus absorbed that. And now Jesus is saying there like wisdom, holding out his hand, saying, come. I love you. And so will you take his hand? Will, will you confess your sin? Will you make Jesus the Lord of your life, your leader? Will you give it to him because he gave it all for you? But I realize many of you watching here in person or online, you're here today because you're already a Jesus follower and you're wanting to grow in this relationship. And so my question to you is what I pose to myself. What is it that is keeping the noise of your inner monologue that's desiring the simple-mindedness? And where are you not keeping Jesus at the forefront? Like, what, what do you need to change? Do, do you need to change what you're listening to? Do you need to change what you're watching? Do you maybe need to change something in your time? Do you need to, you know, like, get rid of one thing, like, that maybe set aside the newspaper for a while so you can get into the scriptures? Maybe it's deleting some app off your phone so you can give some time into a, a book or into a relationship. I, I don't know what it is, but what is the Holy Spirit saying? Yeah, this thing, 
I, I, I want to remove that because that's not helping you walk in the way of wisdom. Now, please don't mishear me. I am not calling for legalism. This has nothing to do with your salvation. This has nothing to do with trying to impress God. This has nothing to do with trying to impress other people so that you look more spiritual, more holy. This is all about God loving you, wanting this relationship with you. But sometimes our sin tries to crowd in and it raises the volume on the things that we need to ignore and it's making us ignorant of that which is far more important. So what do you need to bring into your life to become gospel white noise? to become that sound machine so that you just see and hear Jesus and these other things can be blocked and they fade away and you can ignore yourself. Because when you allow that volume on Jesus to go up, you suddenly realize he is wisdom personified. And when you begin to bet the gospel, be that white noise, you discover that Jesus is the one who will protect you from your simple-mindedness, from destruction, and from yourself. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help each and every one of us to um, walk in your way, to let wisdom be our guide, to let wisdom be our shield. And so Heavenly Father, I pray right now that uh, those who are dealing with something in their heart and their mind, that you would give them the bravery to do it, that, that they would be willing to cut something out or to bring something in uh, that, that it, maybe they're embarrassed that they've gotten to this place where they are spiritually. And, and so I pray that right now you would just minister to them through your Holy Spirit. You'd let them know how much you love them, how much you are for them, and what you desire for them. And, and that this would be a time of surrender as we pray, as we sing, as we take communion. Heavenly Father, I pray for the person that is listening to this, that does not know you. They've never fully surrendered their life to you. They may have an awareness of you. They may have even heard this story, but right now they're sensing that you're calling them to something different. It's, it's not just having an awareness that there is a God. It's now to truly know you as their God. And that way is through Jesus. Heavenly Father, you gave us Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to you except through him. And so I pray right now that someone would give their life to you that they would say this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess my sin. It has kept me separated from you, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, my sin has been erased, my sin has been forgiven, and I can now come into a relationship with you. And so Jesus, because you gave it all for me, I now give myself to you. And Heavenly Father, if someone just prayed that prayer, I thank you that heaven is celebrating, and I look forward to learning about it so that we can celebrate as well. But Lord, I pray for my brother or sister in Christ who right now they're not celebrating. They're struggling. Something, there's, there's a barrier between you and them. They, they know you. They know what Jesus did. They, they, there's certain things that are, are in place, but, but God, they're just gonna be honest. God, would you help them to ignore that sin, to ignore those things of their past, to be ignorant of their presence, so that right now they can just put their full attention upon you because Jesus, you love them. You died for them. The wisest thing we can do is to surrender it all to come to you because of how much you love us, because of what you've done for us. So Heavenly Father, I just pray you would minister in these next moments. You'd help people to, to deal with something that they need to deal with so that they can have you at the forefront, that their heart and mind would be set on things above. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these songs. Thank you for this, the, the passage out of Proverbs. 
Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the things that you're doing in us. Thank you that you love us so much you don't leave us the way we are. So that's why I ask you to do what you need to do right now, God. You'd break hearts, you'd change minds, and you'd mend the broken. Right now, we want to go into a time of communion. We want to give you a chance to respond to what you've just heard, to, to surrender. Jesus went to a cross, allowed his body to be broken, even his mind, even the core of who he was, everything, all of sin was thrown upon this one man, and he took it for you. And so that, that thing right now that, that you haven't been ignoring, that you've allowed to be part of your life, that the Holy Spirit's saying, no, that I want, I want to take away, you, you got to look at the cross to see how Jesus took it. And when you see what he did for you, I think it'll help you to say, okay, God, take this from me. I don't want this anymore. Help me to ignore it, to be ignorant of its presence so that I can give my full attention to that which is better to you. Because the pandemic has been rolling back, we are so glad to be able to bring back communion stations. Because there's just something about us saying, Jesus, you came for me, so I'm going to get up, I'm going to go get these elements and bring it back. Uh, so we just asked this side of the room, use that uh, station, this side over here, those of you in the back, we've got a station back there. But just go and get those elements and bring those back to your place. And then at any time during the song, you can crack that open. But I just ask that when you do, you'd hold that bread for a moment. You'd imagine Jesus on the cross as you take it. And as you take the cup, you'd remember how much blood was shed, but it was for the forgiveness of your sin. And as you take it, you realize how much Jesus sacrificed to get you. And it might help you to sacrifice what you need to so that he can be front and center. So let us do this now in remembrance.